You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Justice is Served, where we bring you the latest and trending legal news on a weekly basis here on Black Hollywood Live. My name is Sarah Azari. I'm one of your hosts here and a criminal defense attorney, and I'm joined today by my co-host, attorney Chelsea Galicia. Hi, Chelsea. (laughs) All right, and we're going to turn it over to Chelsea to start us off with the case of the week. Case of the week has to be the most obvious case out there right now. It's the case of Freddie Gray and the fallout in Baltimore over his death. He is the 25-year-old man who took off on foot when he saw police coming towards him. Uh, when police caught up to him, they took him into custody. And while in custody, he uh, experienced a severe spinal cord injury and also the crushing of his voice box. He fell into a coma and died a week later. There have been protests uh riots, looting, fires uh, since his uh, funeral on Monday. Um, By this time, we're starting to sound like a broken record here. Um, The the reaction has been incredibly intense Mm -hmm. um, after this incident. Why do you think that it's so intense in this case? You know, um, Baltimore, I don't think, Chelsea, is burning for Freddie Gray. What's going on here is on a much larger scale. This is a reaction to, you know, amidst uh, what's been going on nationwide with white police officers killing, shooting, choking uh, unarmed black men. And Baltimore particularly is a primarily African-American community. And I think this is just sort of the... Um, the the icing on the cake for them, this issue with Freddie Gray, that his arrest and then his death. Um, and so Baltimore's reaction, I think, is not just to Freddie Gray. In fact, Freddie Gray's family was shocked and appalled that the city is reacting this way and rioting because it's really more than just protests. They're looting, they're destroying, and... Um, and and it's really it's 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 a it's a great state of unrest and Baltimore has declared a state of emergency. There's curfews, um, so to me there's more than protesting. And I and I think that um, it's not about Freddie Gray per se. It is about what has been going on, frankly, since August with Ferguson. Actually, I would say. People would say it's been going on for a long, long, long time, these tensions and the things that have given rise to this. Uh, I think that most of the media has been paying attention to um, the few people. Well, and when I say few, it's few in proportion to the number of people out there that are protesting. Mm -hmm. 95% of the people out there are protesting peacefully, nonviolently, exercising their First Amendment right to be heard, and some are looting and um, causing havoc, but the media makes it look like everyone is just out there looting. Um, Donald Trump would have you believe that it's the entire city has just been taken over by thugs who are happily looting, which I think is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
that more attention needs to be um, paid to the people who are peaceful peacefully protesting and what they're protesting for. Well, and I think the city, the mayor, the uh, police department, they're all supportive of peaceful protests. But the issue here is that you've got gangs coming in. You've got the Bloods and Crips joining forces. No, they denied that. Well, but, but you know what? Um, of course, their gang members are going to deny that. What are they going to say? Yeah, we're here to bring down the police. Or they can um, say nothing. Yeah, but, you know, there's clearly there is um, a lot of chaos. There's a lot of violence that is sort of trumping any kind of peaceful protest that's going on. And it's destroying the city. And so I think when you're dealing with public safety it absolutely trumps any kind of First Amendment protection issue that, you know, that the, the public has a First Amendment right to peacefully protest. And when you're dealing with a city that's being destroyed, I think you need to restore the peace before you can pay attention to the public protest. Oh, I don't know. That's a slippery a peaceful slope. I mean, let's let's keep this in context here. There have been protests, riots, uh, not even protests, but riots and destruction of property and fire uh, and looting for um, much less important things. I don't know. The many times that we've seen uh, these kind of behavior after sports teams win or lose, you know, so I hope that people aren't just pointing uh, the finger at, you know, it's it's only when something happens um, in, in a black community that these kinds of things happen. No, it happens with uh, white participants as well for much sillier reasons. Sure. I think the tension is obviously drawn to this because it falls within the context of all these cases that we've been discussing here on Justice is Served, um, the police brutality cases involving unarmed African-American males. And um, and I, and I, I don't think the public is losing sight of why these riots and the, 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 you know, that these riots are responsive to the issue of, you know, the, the, another unarmed African-American man being um, um, essentially injured and killed. But uh, it, it, I think ultimately you can't respond to violence with violence. You but know, most of them are not. And that's the that's the smokescreen that I think that we're all playing into. Most of these people are not doing anything illegal. Yes, some are. And they should be arrested and held accountable, just like I hope the police who were involved in the uh, killing of Freddie Gray, I'm assuming mm-hmm. they are responsible, uh, are are held to account of the law. But most of them are protesting peacefully, mm-hmm. and they're protesting because this is deep-rooted issues about education and lack of uh, economic opportunity. Mm-hmm. This stuff goes way back, and this is not just, like you said, about one man and one injustice. This is about a systemic injustice mm-hmm. that rightfully deserves attention. Uh, I think that by now people thought uh, that with a black president, more would be done. I mean, we're already talking about the next president Mm -hmm. and not much has been, maybe some has changed, but not as much um, progress has been made uh, by uh, black communities that they thought would finally get attention now that Obama was president. Mm -hmm. And he addressed this um, the other day. Uh, He was with the Obama can't change racism in the country. I mean, it's it's really absurd to expect one president, black, white, or yellow, to come in and all of a sudden change systemic, deep-rooted racism in our law enforcement, which has for years and years and years been the basis of the training they receive in the academy. I think it's too much to expect any president or anyone, any individual, to be able to change that. I think as we've discussed before, things are changing. They're slowly changing. But I have to disagree with you in Baltimore. I don't see, uh, I think you you are seeing the, um, 
you know, the, the issues exclusive of one another, where I, I see that they're both coexisting. And by that, I mean, yes, you've got the riots and yes, you've got um, the peaceful protesters. I don't think it's a smokescreen. I think it's just that the riots are so serious and so much damage is being done that that's why it's deserving of the attention that it's getting. I don't think that necessarily the riots are being used by the media to cover up something, at least not yet. Um, and, and I have to also say that the because uh, you brought up the injury that uh, Freddie Gray um, sustained, the spinal cord injury that eventually led to his death. Um, my understanding is that there's been court documents confirming that he actually had a civil settlement arising out of a car accident in which he, he sustains a spinal cord injury. And so if that actually turns out to be proven and true, um, that's going to affect his his families recovery against Baltimore. Take they take the citizens as they find them. So of course. if this guy has a pre existing condition, they should I don't even know why there had to be any hands on him. He didn't he hadn't committed a crime. He saw the police. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. He took off. Mm-hmm. And I understand when a police officer says stop, you're supposed to stop, but he hadn't committed any crime. He was not being arrested. He was you know I, I don't there shouldn't be anything that would kill somebody sure. in custody. Of course. And we all have pre-existing, you know, pains well, and injuries and, and things like that. And that does not absolve the police no, of, of their No, of course. It's called, in the, in the law, it's called the eggshell plaintiff. Um, but in the, the um, police commissioner actually admitted that the police officers were negligent while Gray was in their custody. He asked for an inhaler because he has asthma. They failed to give it to him. Um, they didn't give him medical attention immediately as they dragged him and he was yelping. And um, this was all, of course, captured on another bystander's um, bystander telephone. Um, so I agree with you that, that um, you know, excessive force is not news to us. We've been discussing this for several months. Yeah. And um, I don't, I don't disagree on that. I, I also think that, that um, of course, his family is going to be able to recover, but it's much, it, it's, it's different than just a very healthy 25 year old who had no injuries, who then ends up, you know, getting, yeah. getting I hurt. I, I don't think that we, that should be that serious of a of an issue that we're looking at. But what I do want to return to is the bit about President Obama's responsibility. And there is no way, you're right, that one person can change it. But what one person can do with such a platform as being the President of the United States is bring attention to the problems. He has, instead of being out there with the leader of Japan pushing for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, I mean, he, he said that the police department and the communities, and we all need to do some soul searching, not just soul searching, but we need a freaking spiritual breakthrough. I mean, but the only way it's going to happen is with pressure and attention on the issues. And I think that's what the protesters who are peacefully um, demonstrating are, are asking for. I think the riots are serious and they should be dealt with. But I think that we should not be uh, sort of blinded that that is the whole story here. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, I hope that I hope that explains fairly. Not that that these riots are insignificant and should be ignored, but right. that what is really going on here is something deeper. And I hope that that deeper story gets more coverage uh, when the riots themselves um, are over and done with.
It will until the next police brutality case comes up, and then that will get coverage. Right. That's kind of where we're headed. All right, so let's get to on the docket. All right, so on the docket, we've got lots of sports in the news today. Um, the NFL is yet again dealing with domestic violence by one of its players this time, Dallas Cowboys' Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy used to play for the Panthers in North Carolina. While he was with the Panthers, he was convicted of, of, um, of uh, domestic violence on his then-girlfriend, um, Nicole Holder. And he was convicted by judge alone, which in North Carolina... The law is such that if you are convicted by a judge, meaning you don't have a jury trial, you have a court trial, um, you then have a right to have yet another trial on the same, in the same case on the same charges before a jury, which is what he did. At that second trial, interestingly, his girlfriend did not show up to testify. So the prosecution didn't have any evidence to move forward with. And as a result, they had to dismiss the charge. And so uh, on the NFL side, however, he has been suspended from 10 games without pay. He's previously been suspended by the Panthers um, f- for 15 games with pay. And the reports are that this is a very harsh punishment by the NFL. Now, Chelsea, do you think that somehow he can reduce these 10 games to maybe two, four to make it a little bit more just? Well, but that assumes that it's not just. And I think... I think it is. It's not just if you look at the other players and how they've been punished. In relation to that, it looks grossly unfair. Mm -hmm. But now the NFL wants to present a new face because of all the fallout from the Ray Rice incident. uh, They are now um, announcing that um, new drafts are going to watch a 45-minute video presentation mm-hmm. when they're first drafted and then again when they go to the rookie symposium. Mm-hmm. They want people to know that they're taking this seriously. Um, Roger Goodell has said that um, that before this case, or the NFL has said that before this case, uh, they waited for the uh, law enforcement to do its thing first and then they sort of piggybacked the off investigation. of that. Right. Okay. But now, since this case, they are now on their own independently investigating while the police are right. doing their thing. Mm-hmm. So they're not um, waiting for, for law enforcement and mm-hmm. whatever legal result comes out because, as we see a lot of times, uh, the charges end up getting dropped. In this case, it seems that once the, um, the ex-girlfriend reached a civil settlement mm-hmm. with the player she took off. Maybe that was part of the settlement. Right. Uh, so, but that shouldn't be controlling to the NFL. So it looks like the NFL might be, um, I hate to use the word caving to public pressure, but it's maybe it's it's come, well, so coming to the public pressure that, that we didn't like what we were saying and, mm-hmm. and, we were going to say something about it, and now maybe they're doing something. Well, I also in think I think that the um, well, the NFL conducted a two-month investigation. There were photographs um, of him having brutalized his ex-girlfriend. Apparently, he used physical force and landed her in a bathtub. Then more physical force that landed her on a futon covered with four semi-automatic rifles, and grabbed her by the neck, leaving visible visible marks. So not only they conduct their own investigation and c- come to their own conclusion, which in this case they felt like he'd brutalized this woman, uh, but um, 
you know, the NFL is like an administrative body. It's like the State Bar of California. It's like the Medical Board of California, where it doesn't really matter what happens in a court of law. The standard of proof is different. In a court of law, in a criminal, in the, our criminal justice system, the prosecution has the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is guilty of this particular charge. And if the witness doesn't show up to testify, then obviously they don't have the evidence and they have to dismiss the charge. On the administrative side, when you're dealing with the NFL or whatever administrative body you're dealing with, the, the, they don't have to prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt. At, at best, they have a preponderance of the evidence, which is more likely than not this occurred. And the NFL wants to maintain its integrity, um, the, its reputation with the public, like you said, and they have policies and they have, you know, rules of professional conduct like most other bodies do. And in this case, they found that he absolutely violated those rules of professional conduct and that you know, this, this, uh, 10 game suspension is just in this case. Um, I think that he may be able to get it reduced once his appeal is done. I believe he's appealing this decision. Um, but there's been reports that, you know, is NFL now branding its own justice? And yeah, I mean, um, they're allowed to, they're allowed to, they're allowed to, you break our rules and you break the rules of, uh, you know, the laws of North Carolina. Those are two separate sets of rules. I mean, I think people are just surprised that the NFL is now finally enforcing its own rules. Right. And I think the lesson here for the public is that we do have the power to change the way that an organization does things by putting enough pressure, looking the at the media. Situation. I think the media is but very media, responsible for that. The media looks at our reaction. Sure. Had we had that, had TMZ released that video and we were like, oh, whatever. It would not, I don't think, resulted in what we're saying now. Mm-hmm. So I, I they're hope- taking it more seriously. I mean, yeah. and it's their integrity. So I understand that. Also, uh, one more thing on um, Greg Hardy. You know. Um, <laughs> The girlfriend not showing up to testify, this is very common. And you, you said, you know, maybe it's part of the civil settlement. It's actually illegal. We don't want to give the message to our viewers that they can, God forbid, if they're in trouble, they can pay the witness and say, sign here that I paid you, you know, $5,000 so you don't show up to court because that is absolutely illegal. You're obstructing justice, you're witness tampering, and you're going to be responsible and liable for another charge. So what we're saying here is that um, this... It's common. It happens. The witness makes him or herself unavailable by going on a Mexican cruise or not being around when they're coming out to serve the subpoena to testify in court. Um, but it cannot be part of any contract or anything. Not explicitly. You know, at not least. explicitly. Yeah. Not explicitly. So I, I do believe that she was um, paid a pretty penny, but I don't think that it's anywhere that you know TMZ is going to. You won't post find it. that, right? Yeah, you writing. will not find that. All right. Next, and and um, also uh, involving the NFL is a, a very historic settlement. Um, about over 5,000 former NFL players, retired players, sued the NFL for failing to um, advise them of the risks of head trauma. You know, what can happen to you when you're time and time again being banged in the head in these games? And so as a result, there was a settlement reached, tentative settlement reached in 2013. And I want to talk to you about that, Chelsea. And, and then uh, the judge asked for revisions to that settlement. And then recently the settlement was finalized. And the reason I say it's historic, it's because um, it, it compensates 
former NFL players, and if they're deceased, their families, so long as they have left the NFL on July 7th, 2014 or earlier, they're entitled to these benefits um, and essentially takes care of these really high healthcare costs. So Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, these are neurological diseases, spinal cord diseases, degenerative diseases like C, I think it's CTE. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are all typical of being banged around in your head, like these football players have. And so now they have this chunk of money that they can use to um, compensate them for their disabilities. Um, about 200 or so of these retired players have opted out of this, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about what their options are. But Chelsea, what is um, what was the difference between that first settlement and this settlement? Why is there two? It's The only difference is the amount of money. And I think that focusing on the amount of money was the wrong focus. I see a lot of problems with this well, settlement. Well, I think the cap was removed. I think initially there was a cap, and yeah. now there's it's unlimited, basically. Kind of, but it's it's being said that this will cost the NFL about a billion dollars, which at first glance sounds like a lot of money, except when you realize that the NFL brings in $10 billion in revenue a year. And it's a billion dollars over 65 years. Yes. It's not like in a lump sum I mean, right it's now. it's not even a slap on the wrist. It's right. a tap. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roger Goodell has said that he sees the NFL earning $25 billion a year by 2027. So this is pocket change for the NFL. Mm-hmm. But the bigger problem besides the amount of money is how these benefits are going to be delivered. Mm-hmm. So in workers' comp, I see a lot of head injury cases. Mm-hmm. And there's a big uh, issue in first getting diagnosed. Mm-hmm. I mean, Especially with CTE. Because right. it's you can't very diagnose speculative. it until someone dies. Yeah. Right. So these diagnoses are very hard to come by. Um, and then is the NFL going to start giving out money when a, 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 one doctor says it or do they want two or three? Is it their the doctor? problems of proof. I mean, yeah. this is a whole, like, a whole workers' compensation system around this uh, head injury uh, system needs to be set up. Mm-hmm. So then let's just say that the NFL agrees, fine, this person has Alzheimer's. Uh, then can the NFL say, well, this person's grandmother has Alzheimer's, so it was pre-existing condition. That- and, and how do you prove that this, let's say the Alzheimer's is definitely caused by head trauma in football. How do you prove that it's from head trauma in football while playing for the NFL, because these guys have played thousands of games before they are drafted right. to the NFL. So it's very, uh, the causation is also difficult so to So these prove. are really, really big problems. And then mm-hmm. also, is this money just supposed to be paid to the the individuals themselves and then they have to take care of the medical bills from there? Or does the NFL take care of the medical bills from there? Who controls what um, uh, procedures are allowed to be done on these people? And also, you know, not only these people can't work, but sometimes their family members have to take care of them. Is there any compensation for those for caretakers? Yeah. There is in uh, in California workers comp. So it's just that this settlement not only was too easy for the NFL. I mean, they got away with no wonder they settled, right? <laughs> they got away with so right. much. And then the the settlement, uh, unless there's an entire workers comp system laid out in this settlement, it's going to be, I think, difficult, more difficult for the players to get the money than they think it is. Like, what's what law is controlling well, what, what the, state from a, from a from a sort of 
you know, um, technicality standpoint, they have 180 days from receiving notice of the settlement to make a claim. And then, of course, the issue then is, well, when are they going to get paid? One issue with that is that they may, um, there, there, there are a lot of individuals who are unhappy with the settlement. In, in, other, in other words, it's been settled. This is the, the problem with a class. It's not one plaintiff. And so the class has approved the settlement, but there are still unhappy individuals in this class and they're going to appeal this decision. And, um, so then it really is the issue of like wait now does do the does the rest of the class have to wait for the appeal to be decided on to be able to get a check or is the appeal going to be limited to a specific issue or issues where the payments can still be processed pending the result of the appeal and then the 200 players who opted out of the settlement for reasons that you discussed Chelsea that they just felt like it's an easy way out for the NFL it's a slap on the wrist those guys still can bring their own individual lawsuits against the NFL, but you're dealing with preclusions in the Players Association contracts where they're prohibited from suing the NFL directly. They've got those sorts of contractual prohibitions that they're dealing with. And then you've got, again, the causation issue. When did they sustain this head injury? Was it while they were drafted into the NFL and playing for the NFL? Or was it in, you know, in the park on Balboa? Um, it, Who knows when they sustain these injuries? And not all the symptoms are going to come out within 180 days of this. I mean, some of these symptoms take years to show up or years to be identified. Sometimes somebody's, you know, acting out and they look depressed and they may be using drugs. But you don't know why. You don't know. Is it maybe because their life has been turned upside down that, you know, football was their whole life and now their career is over and they're having a hard time dealing with it? Or is this repercussions from being banged in the head one too many times? Mm -hmm. And so this is why I think there are massive problems with with this this whole thing. Um, I think it's, you know, sort of an NFL smokescreen. Oh, we're, we're settling and we're going to give a billion dollars. Um, this is Suddenly the NFL is looking really responsible, you guys. They are it. So with domestic violence, yay, looks like they're heading up. But on this Nay. concussion, no, <laughs> justice not served in this one. <laughs> All right, moving on to not the NFL, but um, some news in the baseball world. Great news, big news. Um, baseball's home run king, Barry Bonds' conviction for obstruction of justice has been overturned by a Ninth Circuit Court in California, by the Ninth Circuit um, Appellate Court. Um, Barry Bonds, for those of you who are younger, because he's 50 now, um, is a former outfielder for the San Francisco Giants, and he has had more home runs than anyone in Major League Baseball history. In fact, he had 73 home runs in 2011, 762 home runs in 22 years. Unbelievable. And um, in 2011, he was convicted by in federal court for uh, obstruction of justice based on a statement he made to a grand jury back in 2003. And I want to just uh, tell you a little bit about what the statement was and, and how it came about. In 2003, um, Barry Bonds was called into court as a witness to testify before a grand jury during the course of an investigation of a company called Balco in the Bay Area. Um, There were suspicions that Balco was providing uh, PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs, to athletes and other individuals, and um, they were particularly investigating this guy named Greg Anderson, who at the time was Barry Bonds' trainer. So, of course, Barry Bonds was dragged into court as a witness to testify about what he knew and whether he was administered... um, injectable 
uh, steroids and and uh, testosterone creams, etc. At some point, he had not before the grand jury, but at some point, he had made a statement that what he was injected with was flaxseed oil, and the cream was actually um, arthritis cream. It was not testosterone cream. It, you know, it just it just smells funny to me. But regardless, so before the grand jury, he was specifically asked. Um, and I want to read this. Um, the question was, did Greg, meaning Greg Anderson, the trainer, ever give you anything that required a syringe to inject yourself with? That was the question by the prosecutor at the grand jury. Bonds's answer was this rambling, which ended with, I came, I became a celebrity child with a famous father. I just don't get into other people's business because of my father's situation, you see. And shortly after that, though, he answered no. And the reason the Court of Appeal has overturned this conviction is because he did eventually answer to the satisfaction of the prosecutors. He did say no. Had he just ended his statement with, oh, my father, you know, blah, blah, um, then, then yeah, then that's an evasive answer and it could be construed as obstruction of justice. But in this case, he actually did say no and they weren't able to prove that no was untruthful. They, he, he was not guilty of the uh, perjury charge. And he ended up with obstruction of justice. And now, Chelsea, he's got nothing. So decades of efforts to legally link bonds to the use of PEDs for all of those home runs is a wash. Yep. So what do you have to say about um, the, the inability of the, 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 the sports world and the justice system to prove that this guy really did it wasn't flaxseed oil and it wasn't arthritis cream. I mean, I, I don't know. This is a, a, a huge mess. I mean, they, they tried to show something and came up empty handed and got him on an obstruction of justice. I mean, if I, if I had to list out the number of clients who in deposition answered a question with an answer like this, there would be more people in jail for obstruction of justice than, you know, there it's are common. for drugs. Yeah, absolutely. I agree People with you. get nervous. Yeah. And pe- people don't want to snitch. We've talked about right. that before. They don't want to snitch. They're, they're thinking of how, what can I say to... Obstruction of justice, especially in the federal system, it's, it's what a prosecutor chases after when there's nothing else. It's sort of that petty little thing. It's a desperate that move. They can, frankly, you and I might have uh, might have evaded uh, some, some question to a judge at some point, and we could be losing our license and being convicted of obstruction of justice. It's insane. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, and, you know, and I also thought this was interesting because in the 90s, you know, the world of baseball, you know, A-Rod, um, Barry Bonds, these guys, you know, it was, it was the baseball steroid era. And um, also a very similar case was Lance Armstrong, who won the Tour de France seven times. He won seven consecutive titles and um, and then and then basically got stripped of everything because of the um, allegations that he had been using performance enhancing drugs. Well, he admitted no longer allegations. Well, he admitted on Oprah, but um, I just discussed this at length on this other show. The the issue with uh, with Armstrong was that no, it wasn't an admission. Um, he actually did not show up to the hearing that he was called for to to do. His teammates, because he was part of the U.S. Postal System team, his teammates gave him away. They everyone cooperated, and every and so the evidence against um, Lance Armstrong was 
testimony. It was testimonial. Barry Bonds, there was no testimony. Um, both Barry Bonds and Lance Armstrong tested clean. You know, not one dirty test. Okay, there was there was a uh, you know masking agents used like vinegar and bleach. They would skip tests. They would just not report. Um, they would bring in smuggle in uh, clean urine samples. These are all things that my clients on probation learn to do very skillfully. And these athletes were doing that. Not a single dirty test. And and yet, you know, um, everything that these men stand for, their 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 amazing um, performance as athletes, their phenomenal um, physical performance over decades, is just completely damaged when there's this, you know, even the obstruction of justice because it still taints his his history as though he was just some crap athlete that but for the performance enhancing drugs would have never gotten these home runs. Yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, justice is going to be hard to come by for anybody here. But what I thought was really interesting is that federal prosecutors are might not give up on this, that they might be appealing this because they to, to the Supreme Court, to the United States Supreme Court, because they think it raises a substantial issue, a question. I, I, I don't even know. I think it's the safe face. I think it's the safe face. They've used... Um, government resources, and they now have to uh, make it look legitimate as to, you know, the cause behind their use of resources. And frankly, I mean, what do you think about the, um, because a lot of, there's a lot of reports that, okay, now Barry Bonds, you know, he's 50 years old. He's not going to go back and play baseball, obviously. But somehow people think that this is like clearing his name. And to me, you know, the damage is done. For a lot of people, it is. There are way too many questions. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm saying that justice will be very difficult to come by because if he was never involved, it's it's too late. I mean, this investigation has been going on for more than it's 10 years. It's damaged his reputation. It's damaged his name. And now, um, when people bring up the name Lance Armstrong or Barry Bonds, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is is uh, a syringe with steroids in it. It's not the seven Tour de France titles or you know all these great things the, the organization that Lance Armstrong created for cancer patients, etc. Um, but and I don't think that you know I think as 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 a defendant, you know Barry Bonds must feel vindicated Hopefully. that he's gotten some justice. But I don't think that it's going to restore his name in any way. Anyway, um, turning it over done. to you to yeah. tip our scales today. Okay, great. So have you ever walked through a crosswalk while the f- don't um, walk light was flashing or that 10 second countdown Always. has, right? Who hasn't? Well, then you, my friend. I actually wait for it to stop and it's completely red and then I start crossing. Well, it. then did you know that you are engaged in illegal activity? I really did not know that if you enter the crosswalk after the flashing lights have already started, you are violating the vehicle code. So, because um, they didn't cover that in law school, I don't even think they covered that in driver's ed, and I was a dork paying attention in both of those places. So, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Fine, you get a ticket for it. But you'd think, well, what is that worth? 50 maybe $100? Nope, not so much. In L.A., at least... It's worth one hundred and ninety-seven dollars. Mm-hmm. So two hundred dollars is a lot for anyone to pay for such a small infraction. Um, but it's much more painful if you are like Eduardo Lopez, a twenty-two-year-old student who had just completed the graveyard shift and was racing to class when he got a ticket for this. He's working to support his family uh, and to become a firefighter. And that this $200 ticket was about a third of the family rent that he helps contribute to. So he went to court, asked 
uh, if he could do community service instead and was rejected, said no, had to pay up. Uh, and so he was essentially forced to ask himself, do I help pay rent or do I pay this silly ticket? Um, it raises the question if, if uh, fines should be based on income sort of like taxes. Okay. What do you think? I disagree. I uh, believe in this case the fine was not $197. In fact, I know it's not. Um, it's I can't say what it is. It's probably $20 or $30, not even probably $50. Um, I'd have to look at the code to know the exact amount. But what happens in most counties, including L.A. County, is when you have a fine, there's a non-negotiable, automatic, and it's by formula, um, penalty assessment that is added to the fine. So, for example, if it's your first time DUI, the, the fine is $390, which, of course, is a lot of money. But that's not even what you pay. You end up paying close to $1,800 because of the penalty assessments that are added. So I think in Eduardo's case, the 197 represents not just the base fine, but the um, the penalty assessments that is just non-negotiable. Anytime a fine is imposed, so are the penalty assessments added to it. The problem is when you start going with a sliding scale, let's look at you know the person's living situation and their income. You're raising, you're, you're opening the door to having to do essentially a financial check to make sure people are not lying about their income, that they're really um, legitimately in need of this sort of, you know, break from the system. And frankly, you can get that if you go before a judge. Eduardo he Lopez. He tried. He did not go before a judge. The first time you go to court, he you go to the clerk. You go to the traffic clerk. The traffic clerk does not have discretion to reduce your fine, to give you community service, to be nice to you, to, you know, dismiss anything. Had he gone to the judge, most traffic judges will give you a break, especially on something petty like this, where they think the officer was just a complete jerk um, by issuing this ticket. There's not that many tickets like this in traffic court, let me tell you. There's like red light, you know, yeah. wrong turn. Well, if, but if you look at the statistics in, in L.A., especially in downtown, mm-hmm. they're being handed out very frequently. Right. I got one in front of my house. I live in downtown L.A. Um, but the thing is, is um, I, I don't mean to be harsh. I, I like this kid. I think he's working really hard. I think he wants to be a firefighter. He lives in a one-bedroom apartment with his you know, uh, three siblings and his mother. Uh, But you know what? You got to go fight for yourself. I mean, when you get a ticket, you don't just, he says that it's inconvenient to go a second time because he's going to lose more time. I'm sorry. Okay. You don't want to work. He's got to go to school. But you know what? This is, this is 90% of people in the LA County court system. They got to work. They got to, so uh, you know what? If you don't have the funds to hire an attorney, this is not something you really need an attorney for. And I really want our viewers to know this. If you're cited, okay, you do have a chance of getting it dismissed. If the officer doesn't show up to the trial, guess what? It's dismissed automatically. If the officer shows up, you could still plead your case to the judge. But if you just show up the first day and go to the window and sign a piece of paper, what you're doing is you're pleading guilty and you have to pay the fine because the clerk doesn't have the power to do anything for you. So I I really wanted to make this point to our viewers, but I I still think that, you know, um, we want to hear from you and we want to hear whether you think that um, tickets should be based on income. But if you do get a ticket, fight it, okay? Don't just go sign a paper Who and Who has time for this? Well, then you pay. You either oh pay gosh, with your time so or you unfair. pay. unfair. Well, yeah. All right, so tip the scales. Let us know what you think. You can tweet me at Azari Law. At Chelsea Galicia. 
All right. And this brings us to the close of today's edition of Justice is Served. We thank you so much for joining us. Please find us on YouTube and iTunes and keep the dialogue going during the week. You can click like, you can post your comments and your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And we will see you next week right here on Justice is Served. Bye, everyone. From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Christian, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.